chapter number one. We're going to be doing some review this morning. some review back from our study earlier. Do I need to push anything? Nope. Good to go? Okay. So this Haggai chapter 1 was everybody's turning. We're going to be doing some review actually on this. This will go all the way back to our study we did for She's, I was looking at it, it's about a year and a half, which is crazy. It's like January 2020 up to about August of 21, our study of From the Kings to Christ, and um, which is actually kind of crazy, that length of time that we, were, that we were looking at stuff. But we actually did talk about Haggai briefly, at least it had been mentioned at that point. Does anybody remember where he would have fall in that study that we did. And we'll talk, we'll go back and look at some stuff, but seeing if you can remember anything off the top of your head about Haggai. And what? Any consensus or any other ideas or anything like that? I'll give you a hint. He's later than earlier. Read verse 1. See if that helps. This is in the second year. Verse 1 there is Haggai 1. Haggai 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, etc. So does that help place it? Think especially who it says is king there. So if you think who would be... Um, is it the Babylonians? Is it the, who is after the Babylonians? Is it the Persians? Is it the Greeks? Is it the Romans? It's the Persians, yes. This is the time of the Persian Empire again. This is after. So who did the Persians come after? Or who did they conquer to become kind of like the world empire? Babylonians, yep. Again, so what do we know about the Babylonians? Like what's kind of, what did they do that's kind of significant with what um, in our Bible, I guess you could say? They took Judah captive again. So that was, can anybody remember how many Babylonians, how many times they technically came back and took people from Judah? It's technically three. And the first one would have been with Jehoiakim, the king of Judah in 605, and there's another one, I think, 
597, and then the final one when they came back and wiped wiped everything out, destroyed the city, burned the temple, took everything to Babylon, was 586, roughly BC. So, how long was the how long did the captivity last? Seventy years, just as Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied. God said, for 70 years, your land's going to keep Sabbath because you're not, basically. So after that happened, again, so we talked about already, Babylonians are the world power. You remember Daniel's image? Remember they're the head of gold there? And then after them was the Persians. And who kind of was the king, if you want to think of the Persians, who conquered Babylon? He's mentioned in Scripture. Actually, in Isaiah. He's mentioned in Chronicles. He's talked about in Ezra. Starts with a C. Got the name of Cyrus the Great. He was the king that kind of pulled the alliance together that defeated the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, as is talked about, but it's kind of called the Persian, the Persian Empire there. So what did he do after he became, after they became king, so to speak? What's kind of a big significant thing that he did? He gave a decree to what? He gave a decree for the Jews and God, the God of heavens put this in my heart, you know, to make a decree to go build him a house in Jerusalem. Now, who of all his people will go do it? Go back to Second Chronicles, actually. Go back to Second Chronicles 36. You can see it here. Second Chronicles 36 and then verse 22. Second Chronicles 36. Second Chronicles 36 and the last two verses in the chapter there. Second Chronicles 36, 22. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me. And he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord is God. Be with him and let him go. And if probably the very next page in your Bible is the book of Ezra, most likely, depending on how your Bible is laid out. And that kind of picks up the story, right? Ezra kind of picks up the story right at that point. Who was just who is Ezra? Anybody remember? He was a scribe mentioned there, and so he kind of talks about um, uh, his book. Actually, covers a fair amount of history. His book probably covers seventy-five to eighty years of history. Actually, so he wasn't a part of all of it, technically. Um, so they so Cyrus decrees for him to go back. There actually was more than one time that they went back. Anybody remember? Ezra talks about more than one time. Remember, they went back twice. There is a first initial time going back that's like Ezra chapter 1 and the first couple chapters. And then the second one, about 60, 70 years later, is when Ezra himself actually went back. What we're looking at here is this first time. Haggai is actually in the middle, kind of in the book of Ezra, if you think of chronology. Haggai and Zechariah, actually. 
So kind of a little bit of remembrance here from some things that we've looked at. Nothing to show here. <laughs> here there's a problem. Let me get my thing up over here. There we go. I'm trying to uh, pull up my picture of some things we had looked at. Uh, there we go. Remember, it's kind of like a timeline, kind of we looked at of the Persian Empire. You probably remember this before we looked at it during our study. Again, kind of this is roughly kind of the time. You know that the Persians ruled about 200-ish years, which is long. <laughs> you think of empires back then and everything. And they were kind of a very more humane rulers than you think of who was before them, the Babylonians, and then the Assyrians, especially before them. So they kind of... They, again, they permitted the Jews to return. They kind of really reversed kind of that policy that the Assyrians and Babylonians, remember, they were the ones who'd like yank people up from their homes and go take them other places and then put other people back. You know, they'd like switch people up and around. So they really kind of reversed that, really, on that. And again, so, and then, of course, I don't have the picture, remember, of their empire, but the Persian Empire was huge, if you can remember from those maps. Remember, it stretched. It talks about an Ezra with Ahasuerus went from... India to Ethiopia. Think about that. So it's a huge cover, no thousands of square miles in there. So again, Cyrus was like the first king, you can see, of, of Persia. He actually didn't reign terribly long. Of course, he was kind of king of the Persians before the Persian Empire, so to speak, on that. And then his son, I think, was kind of a not really mentioned in scripture after that. Um, a guy by the name of Cambyses. Then there's a um, this guy is significant, Darius the Great. You've probably heard that name before in scripture. He was the one who, the, he actually erected the Behishtun inscription that was on the road from Babylon to Ekbatana, which is another cities out there, that if you've ever heard of the Rosetta Stone, literally it is the Rosetta Stone, that was the key that they found in Egypt that kind of unlocked hieroglyphics. So this the Behishtun inscription basically is one unlocked Babylonian to the rest of the world when it was discovered. Babylonian indicating cuneiform. So after him, there's kind of another guy by the name of Xerxes that should have been familiar as well. He was a Hasuerus from Scripture, Esther's um, in Scripture's husband there, warred against Greece a lot. And then there's another um, one that I'll mention as well. We're not talking about him today so to speak, uh, but we'll, we might get to him later. guy by the name of Artaxerxes, that should have been another familiar one. He's further down. He's, he's really the one in Nehemiah. The end kind of of, kind of the end of Ezra, beginning in Nehemiah. Remember, he was the one who Nehemiah was cupbearer to. Would have been Artaxerxes, the king. Again, so you're kind of in mid to late 400s at this point. But just kind of trying to bring some things back, hopefully, to kind of remember a little bit, kind of put some things in place here. So back in Haggai, of what we're looking at um, this morning. So at this point, what we're looking at, the Jews, 
Cyrus is decreed, they're going back. So they went back at this point. So anybody kind of remember here a little bit? We, Ezra kind of talks about it a little bit. So they get back in the land. Anybody remember what's the first thing that they did? What's the first thing that they did? They started, of course, instituting worship again. But what's for the Jews? There you go. That's an important thing. They rebuilt the altar. They rebuilt the altar of the temple there. And then they had a big celebration, and they're excited. And there's even, uh, remember the ones, they said, the old men who remembered Solomon's temple wept because they're like, they don't see it as the same. And you couldn't tell the difference between the weeping and the crying because it was just so on that. So what happened after that? Did they just keep building the temple and it's all built and everything's great? What happened after that? So they just decided to stop building or were they doing it and then something happened or... If you were still in Chronicles, if you're, if you're close there, go to Ezra 4. Ezra 4, verse 1. It says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the, temp- the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. Of course, you know, never something good is happening. Never something that God has told people to do, they do it. There's always opposition that comes up to it. Then they came to Zerubbabel unto the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as we do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. There's those displaced people again, remember? Who would these people have been? Who is, so you think of Judah and Jerusalem? Who is their neighbors just north of that? There you go. Yep. This was the, literally was the beginnings of the Samaritans here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. And the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes, they wrote a letter there. So they're starting to build, and then their enemies show up. And it's interesting, they said they hired counselors against them, they write letters against them. So what kind of ultimately happened? After this, look at the end of the chapter. Chapter 4, verse 23. And when the copy of King, okay, they write to the king, he writes them back. Basically, if you see in verse 19, and I commanded, and search hath been made, and it is found that this city of old time hath made insurrection against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made therein. Verse 21 Give you now commandments to cause these men to cease. And that this city be not built until another commandment shall be given from me. Verse 23. And when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read, before Rehum and Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste 
to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them cease by force and power. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So their enemies get their wish and they get a letter that they get the word of the king and then tell them to stop. So it says they were very excited and they go with haste to Jerusalem and made him stop. So they're back in the land. They build the altar. They start building the temple. They're all the zeal. And the opposition hits. And they stop. So the work actually stopped for about 15 years at this point. Until now. The Lord would raise up. Ezra talks about him too as well. Um, it might have been the next chapter, chapter 5. But two prophets that the Lord raises up now to speak to his people. Again, the temples just started to be built, but they stopped. It stopped for about 15 years. And those two guys are one we're looking at today, Haggai, his prophecy in his book here. And then also another guy by the name of Zechariah, which is the second to last book in your Old Testament. Both these guys came up. It seems Haggai started before, before um, um, Zechariah here. But that's where Haggai comes in. So they've stopped. They're not doing what they're supposed to have been doing. So the Jews, again, returned from exile, were living in sin. It's interesting. They weren't in the same idolatrous state as their fathers were, but they were still in sin, nonetheless. And Haggai is going to address this and exhort them to finish what God told them to do. So again, we've already talked about some of the facts here. Again, it's in the second year of Darius, so about 520, 521 B.C. This is Darius the Great, as we looked at before kind of the third king of Persia here. It's actually the second shortest book in the Old Testament. It's only two chapters. It's only 38 verses and about 1,100 words, actually, in the book of Haggai. It's the only book in the Bible with two chapters, by the way. Random fact. You know that? And it's interesting. There's about 27 times in that book. So you think about 38 verses, 27 times he claims divine origin for his message. It's filled with, thus saith the Lord, God says, the Lord said. wasn't him deciding he needed to do something and trying to get people riled up to do it. Thus saith the Lord. And it's interesting, the book is dated as well. It contains five dated times, we'll look at it here, of messages from God to his people through Haggai. Throughout, again, this time, and it's actually over only a couple month period, I believe, from remembering it, but five specific messages that God gives to his people in this book. Not really anything is known of Haggai himself. It's interesting his name means festive. It's interesting. Um, he's the only Haggai mentioned in the Bible. It's interesting. And apart from his book, he's only mentioned again in Ezra, as I mentioned a couple times. And he missed her at the same time as Zechariah, probably a couple months before Zechariah actually comes on the scene here. And he was one of, he's one of what's the three post-exilic, so after the um, post-exile. Again, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi were those three prophets that are after that time. It's interesting that some believe Haggai was an older man who would have been included in those who saw Solomon's temple because he mentions that in his book here we'll look at. And it's interesting, unlike a lot of times in our Bible, and like us and the Jews, the people responded <laughs> this time. 
So we'll actually, let's go read the chapter here real quick. Um, well, we're going to read chapter 1. Haggai 1, chapter 1. We'll go around the room and read that, just like we normally do. So I'll start verse 1. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, and the sixth month, and the first day of the month. So there's your first date. Sixth month, first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your siled houses, and this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring it low, ye eat, but ye have not enough, ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. He clothed you, but there is no warmth, and he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag of holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. He looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when he brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and the came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius, the king. Here's your second message, right there. Again, this talk starts in the sixth month here, and the first, well, his message first comes the first day of the month, and then when they actually are able to start and commence the building. Again, it's not something they just do the next day. Took some time to make some preparations here. 24th day of the sixth month, about three weeks later on that. Again, we kind of talked about some of the historical background as well. Um, after the temple was destroyed, they marked the end kind of of an era at that point, the kingdom era. They were without, Jews were without a temple, without a sacrifice at that point. And then under the generous policies of the Persian kings, almost 50,000 Jews actually returned. It wasn't like it was just a small handful. About 50,000 of them that returned in the first, that first wave that went back here to return. Again, their leader was uh, Zerubbabel, kind of like the governor there of Judah. And then Joshua was the high priest. Um, and it seemed that you know, Haggai and Zechariah probably would have gone back with them too at that point, since they're there here. And the sacrifices were instituted. They, on, they rebuilt the altar. 
And then in the second year, they started doing the foundation again, that they had harassment and the eventual word from the top, from the Persian, the king was, no, tell them to stop until you hear anything else, basically. And it would stop about 15 to 16 years. It was stopped at that point. So again, you think about that, 15, 16 years is a long time. It's not like it's a couple months or a week or something. So kind of keep all that in mind, 15 years till the reign of Darius, Histaspes, Darius the Great. So in the second year, God would raise up Haggai the prophet to encourage them to start building again, start working. So his task was to arouse them from their spiritual lethargy, basically, and encourage them to continue working on the temple. And his, the initial success you see of Haggai, because they did, they didn't like brush him off or tell him to get lost. They feared and they did it. It would be continued by Zechariah, kind of continued that as well in his uh, ministry, which we're not looking at here, but you can see that in Ezra and then also in his, um, the book of Zechariah as well. So the temple would end up being finished about five years later. Again, we're kind of not looking at that point, but just for some historical context on that, it would be finished in about 515. It's about five years after they restarted building it, the temple would be completed here. And it's really interesting, uh, say this before I forget it, it's interesting, just everything about this is kind of applicable to us. It's kind of, you think about family camp, just some themes and different things and stuff, and then also we're talking about a church building project and everything as well, so it's really interesting just the timing and everything on this. But there's some um, interesting lessons and stuff here. The, you know, the people, they're back in Jerusalem. You know, they're back in the land, right? But they're living in sin because they weren't doing what God had called them and told them to do. They weren't necessarily you know, worshiping idols and sacrificing their kids to Molech and stuff like that. But they weren't living in obedience to God because they weren't doing what he told them to do. You think about the Lord had graciously provided for him to return. <laughs> Just the fact of who's ever heard of people being conquered and then 70 years later they go back to their land as a people unit. You know, I mean, that's only a miracle of God. You don't find that in history anywhere else. Through, and then, of course, through the benevolence of the Persian kings that are there. But God didn't just allow them to go back just for the sake of going back just for their own sakes. He had a plan for them for going back. He had a task for them to fulfill. They were to rebuild his house, the temple, so he could be worshipped as his word directed. Remember that. Because there's specific ways that God had indicated how he's to be worshipped, right? And a lot of that centers around the temple. And all, of course, afterwards, rebuild the city. It's interesting. They weren't supposed to build the city first and then build the temple. Build the temple. I'll protect you in the process. Then you rebuild the city. But just interesting how that works. But it's interesting that just as the Jews of those days, we got a tendency to get caught up in the affairs of life and lose focus on what God's given us to do for him. And you know what? That's just as much of a sin for us today as it was for them then. And that's just as much of a sin as them worshiping idols 
and sacrificing their kids to devils and anything else that's there. You know, as, and as we consider this portion of Haggai, see how God deals with them here and then their response to it. And I hope it's a challenge to you as it is to me as we look at this. So let's look at first. Look at the accusations first, how he starts with it. That the Lord, now he's going to lay his charges here against his people through the prophet. You know, over and over, Haggai says, thus saith the Lord. Again, that 27 times that he claims divine origin. It's not just something he came up with. It was thus saith the Lord. Indicating the seriousness of it. God had given them a task to do, which he expected them to do. And now, sure, they faced opposition to it, but God still had told them to do it, right? Think God knew they were going to face opposition to it? Sure. And you know, Haggai didn't go glossing over the facts, did he? He didn't say, no, oh, that's just life's just that way, you know? Things just happen. Life's just that way. Things get busy. Things get hard. No. And so you think of also this, this is basically what God's saying, right? It's not what Haggai's saying. This is what God is saying in it. He addressed their situation as sinful and wanted a change of heart and a change of ways. He wanted repentance, right, in it. So now let's see what they're charged with here. About the first one, procrastination. <laughs> Look at verse 2. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Remember, the Lord had given them something to do, but they said, The time's not come. It's not time to do it yet. The time's not come. Now, in other words, not now. We'll get to it later. You know, when we think about us, when it comes to us and the Lord's work, we likely don't have as much trouble knowing what we should be doing as we do to just doing it. People are the same today as they are back then. There's nothing new under the sun. The time's not come. So we see the first thing that they talked about is um, procrastination, basically. So number two, their priorities were misplaced. They were more concerned for their own comforts than for the Lord's glory. It's interesting. You can see it here. Um, they desired a better life for themselves and were spending their resources on selfish desires instead of rebuilding the Lord's house. While the foundation to the temple was left incomplete, they were working on their sealed houses. If you look in verse 4, says, is it time, or verse 3, says, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed, or siled houses, and this house lie waste? Um, the idea of you know, like a sealed or siled house, this idea is like wainscoting or paneling, basically a luxurious fitting, you know, inside of a house. You can see that's referenced a couple other times in a scripture, I think, the temple. In Solomon's temple references that in 1 Kings 7. You can also see it in uh, Jeremiah 22:14, referencing the king's house. Um, so basically, again, it's for them. It's them. Their life. Making themselves better. 
they're spending their resources on their selfish desires instead of God's house. Think about with this as well, again, talking about priorities misplaced. How about ingratitude in it? Forgetting, at least in practice, basically, may not have said it, but in practice, what God had done and just returning them again to the land. You think about that, just the miracle and blessing of God and that fact. Think about their indifference and their self-centeredness brought concern for their ease and gratification rather than the work of God. Here. Because if you look in verse 9, the end of verse 9, it says, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man into his own house. The idea of waste is no in ruin or uninhabited, desolate, not able to be used. No, the temple was unusable because it wasn't made at this point. And they're charged with, you're more concerned for yourself and your house and your um, gratification, basically, than you are about my house, is what he's charging them with here. The time's not come. It's a time to dwell in your sealed houses. So then the accounting. You see that in verses 5 to 11, how it starts. Verse 5, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That is repeated several times in Haggai. Consider your ways. God, and God's going to tell them now why they haven't been blessed and that they must consider their ways. Give heart regard you know, to your lives and everything here. There's a couple uh, verses I want to look at here. Can someone go to Lamentations 3.40 and then someone go to Luke 15.17? Some volunteers. Hey, Johnny, Lamentations 3.40 and then Anthony. Andy, Luke 15.17. It's interesting, kind of some similar other passages of Scripture kind of talking about that same concept, you know, of consider your ways. So God is laying some charges out for her, but now he's saying... Consider your ways. So whenever you find it, go ahead and start, John. The, um, there's a lot of verses up there, kind of, you probably know some of them, but kind of the whole idea of examine yourselves, consider your ways, some New Testament references, and then also some, um, some Old Testament ones as well, talking about kind of that same type of thing. Uh, 340? Yep, 340. Lamentations 3.40, let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. 15.17. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. What was that? Anybody know what that passage is in reference to? Prodigal son. And when he came to himself, he considered his ways. Came to himself, he said. He lays it out there. So God's now going to give them, okay, consider your ways, reasons for things that are happening in their life. You can kind of see it in verse 6. We've already looked at some things there. There, was, there were some difficulties in their lives that were going on, but it wasn't just for nothing. It wasn't just happenstance. It was God working in it to bring them to a place of considering their ways and repenting of it. It talks about um, blessings that are withheld, for their disobedience. 
You do also got to keep in mind, again, a lot thing with the Jews as well. A lot of their blessings and stuff was very much centered on the land and physical and things like that. But there are lessons for that for us today. What's Matthew 6.33 says? Say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, and all these things shall be added unto you. What are all these things that are talked about in the previous part of that chapter? Food, raiment, the needs of life, basically. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Doesn't that kind of sound like build my house first, stop worrying about yourself? Same thing, isn't it? Their problems were a result of their disobedience here. And they also, you see, the barrenness that came from their selfishness in it. There's also, we won't look at it for time's sake, but in that same chapter, what we just looked at, Matthew 6, I think is talking about where your treasure is, and there will your heart be also, that is talking about there. And then God also gives them remedies for their problems. He doesn't just leave them with their problems and say, figure it out. He tells them, this is what you need to do to fix your situation. Verse 5, see, consider your ways. Verse 7, consider your ways. They needed a heart change to bring about a change of ways. Sounds like repentance, doesn't it? Things could only be right, things could be right if only they'd first act now, stop procrastinating. Verse 8, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Consider your ways, again, is repeated two times in verse 5 and in verse 7 for the urgency. Exchange your, the time has not come, attitude for today's the day. Today's the day attitude. And then number two, put God first. Put me first and build my house. Because that priority must be the priority. Think of Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. A lot of those verses there, it kind of talks about, um, especially the Exodus and the Numbers and the Malachi is talking about the tithing passages is what you think about on those. But then also in um, Luke 14, talks about as well um, priorities on that. So we see the challenge that's given to them, the charges that are laid against them, the accusations that are specifically laid out, and then we see the answer. And you know, it is refreshing to see in Scripture when people respond right, right? <laughs> it's a little different when it's you. But unlike so many times, you know, in our Bible, when God sends his message to people and people know, no, they pull a shoulder or they stiffen their neck as it's talked about, they don't do that here. See verse 12. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. You see, it started at the top, didn't it? And the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God has sent him and the people, now we're back to everybody, the people did fear the Lord. They didn't disregard it or say, yeah, that sounds nice. Maybe we'll get to it next year. They feared the Lord. The people responded. You see it there. And then God's also now going to send an extra word 
of encouragement to them. Look at verse 13. Again, this is only after they started obeying. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you. Wouldn't that be something? You want God to be with you? Be with your family? God says, I am with you. And of course, you could talk about, oh, we're Christians, no Holy Spirit's inside of us, no, it's always there. You know when God's with you and when he's not. Because you can grieve it. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. We're commanded not to do that many times. So we see the response. It kind of We kind of talked about this, kind of how it was as an example to us. It was widespread. It was everybody from the top to the bottom. It was genuine because they didn't just say it. They did it. It was Bible-based because it was based on what God had said. It was serious. God said it so the people feared. And it was prompt. That's maybe another key in it. See, it's the same month, the 4 and 20th day of the 6th month. Again, think about it. Oh, they waited three weeks to do it. They had to get materials together. They had to go make preparations to do it. But considering everything, it was prompt. And you see, they were rewarded for that. And especially, we're going to look at the next chapter in Haggai. It continues the story. Their reward. That the Lord rewarded their obedience, not just, think about this, not just with material blessings. You know, it's not like they started, their crops started doing better and everything. Now, that's part of it. But you know, so much beyond that, he said, I'm with you. And that so much would be better than any of the other stuff. You know, God's churches today, we have a promise in connection with his commission. We're going to look at that in just a second. And it's interesting, think of, back again in this context here with Haggai, verse 13, I am with you. The Lord's presence in their lives brought a special enabling for them to do stuff. See, in verse 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, and they continued there. And they came and did work. So Haggai's ministry, again, is going to, you'll see the in the next um, two weeks, I think, um, the lessons on that, the, the messages are dated again. This is in the midst of the building project, what he's going to do. It's not at the end. It's only at the beginning, which is interesting. But for today, think of application for us. The Lord's churches today, we have a promise. Go to Matthew 28. I think if I asked everybody, you know, you want God's presence in your life? Of course, right? Everybody would say that. If you would ask the Jews back then, you want God's presence with you? Of course they would have said, absolutely. Look at Matthew 28. Start in verse uh, 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. These are verses you probably almost memorized, or you could say without thinking too hard. But look at it. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, 
I am with you. Always. Even under the end of the world. I never noticed that before until doing this. But isn't that interesting? The presence of God is promised in connection with obeying what he's told us to do. Just as it was for them back then. The time's not come. You know? The time's not come. The time's now. The time for you to dwell in your sealed houses and my house lie waste. We can make probably a lot of applications and a lot of things we look at, but um, I know there's some things that the Lord really put on my heart with some things. I hope he did for you too. But yeah, think about as we continue this for the next week or two, Haggai, just, it's just really interesting, the connections with everything of what our church is going through and timing and stuff. And the Lord just really use it to work in your life on that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the message that we saw from your word from Haggai, you know, to your people who, you know, were just in the midst of life and things going on, but they weren't doing what you would call them to do. And we see just the lessons in that for us today as your people who are just very much like the Jews of old and the way we think and the way we do things. It can be so easy just to make excuses for why things are the way they are. And help us to not be satisfied with that, but to desire to fully do what you've called us to do because then you say, I'm with you. And I know that's something that every one of us wants for our family, for our personal life, for our church. We want your presence. And we want you to be with us. Just help us to just work in each and every one of our lives for the, for the lesson and everything that's, that's taught here and spoken. Um, and just thank you for your word and how it's, it's a double two-edged sword, <laughs> piercing even to the dividing asunder, a soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I pray as uh, Pastor preaches shortly from your word, continuing in First Peter, that I'm sure it somehow has some connection with Sunday school, because it always normally, it always does, that you would just use that to continue to work on our lives and to accomplish what you want to have happen in our lives, our personal lives, our family, and our church. And please help us be attentive to stay awake and alert and be eagerly looking for what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.